I want to say a special word of appreciation to Bob Glasgow for the excellent work in teaching those children so wonderfully well. And we'll look forward, you have permission in advance in the spring to bring back your troops again. And uh, we also thank Clyde Stubbs and we uh, congratulate Kelly Adams on the achievement which she has uh, made. And as always, Don King for the good job he does in presiding. And there's someone who's done a lot of work here. She comes up here early in the morning and works late at night. And that's Jeannie Alexander to put up all these poinsettias and then to come back and water them and to look after them for a whole month. And I think we owe her some appreciation too. Now then I want to, we're going to have sort of a, we had a walk through the Bible a while ago. And now then we have a very important passage of Ephesians to deal with that's sort of a climb up a mountain. And then I have to tie this into Christmas and get us out in time for a luncheon that's to take place. And then I have to go to a budget committee meeting. And then at four o'clock I've been told there's a ball game. And uh, <laughs> uh, I'm glad that this great uh, and wonderful prayer is here. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly and above all that we ask or think. That means that I don't bomb out in the sermon, that we have a good time at the luncheon, that the budget committee goes smoothly, that the cowboys win, <laughs> and then we go. You know, they're up for sale for $40 million, and then they upped it to 50. Some old lady called in and wanted to buy Danny White. <laughs> but I don't think Tom will sell him today. Now then, this is chapter 3 of Ephesians. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief, and by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. Now then skip down to verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, so that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. 
Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now may God bless to us this reading from his word. And let us pray. O God, our Heavenly Father, for all of the beauty that this season brings, we give you praise and thanksgiving and ask that the tidings of good news and great joy may especially come to hearts that in this time of the year feel full of pain. We pray that you who know the secret needs of each one of us here will meet those needs through your great riches in Christ Jesus. And we pray that you will bless us and use us to your glory. Take this part of your word which we have to study today and give us an understanding of its meaning and of its application to the way in which we live day by day so that we may bring honor to you and accept these gifts which we bring. Superintend their use so that they may bring glory to our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we dedicate them. Amen. We have been studying through Paul's great letter to the Ephesian Christians. I have called this the secret of Christmas because that word mystery or secret appears several times in this third chapter of Ephesians. You will remember that in the first chapter of Ephesians, he uses that word mystery. It's a mysterious thing. As we heard the children a moment ago tell about the great, vast scope of the Old Testament. And yet when you stop to think of the scope of all of humanity, every kindred and tribe and tongue and nation and all the earth, that God chose one group of people, if you could imagine an hourglass wide at the top, and then it begins to narrow into a funnel. And that little funnel is the, is the Israelites, God's chosen people. And out of that narrowness in that funnel, there is born a little baby, a baby who is born for battle, the sheer smallness of it all, and that through him there should extend again to the very ends of the earth and from eternity to eternity, God's great scope and plan. You have something of an idea of God's strategy, which seems very small to many people, but is the mystery of what Paul is speaking about here and which overwhelms him when he thinks about it. Though he is a prisoner uh, in a jail in Rome, writing to Ephesian Christians, he calls himself not a prisoner of Rome, but a prisoner of Jesus Christ for the sake of you Gentiles, because he knows that God has included them in that plan. And uh, he wants them to understand that God wants them in on his secret of what he was doing in the Old Testament and how he will reveal himself uh, best and fullest of all in his Son and through what the apostles will write later in amplification of what he thought and said and did. And how this would be known to generation unto generation and come right on down to us and that we are all included in God's plan. And that overwhelms Paul. 
He is overwhelmed with it. He is thankful for it. He is grateful for this remarkable grace of God. You see God's strategy? It will be through that little baby. I got a telephone call about 11 o'clock one morning last week. And there was a father who spoke to me on the phone and I could tell he was tense. And he said, I'm going to the hospital now. The baby is three weeks late. And we don't know if something's wrong. I knew what he wanted. He wanted me to come to the hospital. He'd been up since three that morning. And then uh, I had to be back at work at 8.30 and then leave his work at 10 to go to the hospital. So I drove to the hospital. I got there about five in the afternoon. And um, at 10 minutes to five, the little baby had been born. The father's face was all smiles. When he saw me, his eyes reddened with tears. He drug me down to the place where you look in and look at the little baby. He thought he was the prettiest baby in the world. All I could say was, what a baby. <laughs> he was pretty. Uh, and <laughs> he gave him a great name. But I looked at that little helpless infant being waited and attended upon by nurses there and thought God Almighty came one day just like that. Not in an antiseptic hospital with doctors and nurses attending, but born in a manger in the feeding trough of an animal. And yet God will come through that little baby in that little baby and reach out into all the world and gather us unto him. And this is the great secret that Paul wanted shared. And that's why I put that strange old English poem in the bulletin and called it Born for Battle. Look at it. The little babe so few days old is come to rifle. That means like you rifle through drawers. You, you tear it up. Come to rifle Satan's hold, Satan's fortress. All hell doth at his presence quake, though himself so for cold doth shake. The little infant would be affected by the cold, and yet he makes Satan's kingdom shake with fear. For in this weak, unarmed wise, the gates of hell he will surprise. Who would have ever thought it, that God would pull it off this way? Now look, with tears he fights, the tears in that little infant's eyes, and wins the field. His naked breast stands for a shield. His battering shocks are baby's cries. I listened to that cry of that newborn baby. And there's something about that. The father even tape recorded the baby crying. He was so proud of that baby. And that baby's cries there that night when he was born. That's the battering shock, the yell of battle that they'll go and conquer all of Satan's machinery. His arrows, what are his arrows? Looks of weeping eyes. His martial ensigns cold and mean and feeble flesh, his warrior steed. His tent is pitched in a stall, his bulwark but a broken wall. The crib his trench, haystalks his stakes, of shepherds he his muster makes. His soldiers are shepherds who have come in to worship him. And thus assure his foe to, to wound the angels' trump alarm sounds. 
This is an old English way of telling you that this child is born for battle. He has come into the world to destroy the works of the devil, to take away sin, to prepare for his second coming, and to work in you and me. Now, and to work this out through you and me. Now then, how does this come down to us today? Well, I can explain it this way. I had a friend going through sickness who gave me a book called Born for Battle. In this book, he tells of how the Royal Air Force, with 18, 19, 20, and 21-year-old boys, after the collapse of France, Hitler had it made. He had his Operation Sea Lion planned. He would go across the English Channel, invade England, and sweep clear across it. Hitler, to soften up England for that invasion, began to send over wave after wave after wave of Nazi bombers that begin to devastate uh, the British cities and try to destroy the population. But there was a secret, a secret that the British knew that came from Poland, where some Polish people had found the secret, the secret of Hitler's coding device by which all of his orders were sent. Whatever he spoke in his bunker in Berlin or at Berchtesgaden uh, in his retreat, it went out coded. But that code had been broken by these Poles, and they got away and took it to England. And so they knew when those waves of bombers would be coming. They knew when they left the airfields in France and Germany and as a result of it, those 18, 19, and 20-year-old British flyers would scramble. That means as hurriedly as they could, they ran to their aircraft when they got the siren. They got into the airplane and they took off to gain the advantage of a high altitude. Because if they were up above their enemy, they could shoot down the German bombers and destroy them. And Churchill, in his own inimitable way, said, never in the annals of all of human history have so many owed so much to so few, those men who went up. You see, the key thing was that they got above their enemy, and they could take the enemy out before he could destroy. Now, God's strategy was to come down to this earth to bring us up to the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. And that's what he does here. That's what Paul is telling us, that God broke the code. His plan he has revealed to us, and that we are born for battle too, but that our position must be in Christ Jesus, up here, and then we are above the enemy. We have the high ground. We have the advantage in Christ. But first, we see what God has done in, in coming in this way. And what's the result of it? He causes us to know the length and breadth and height of the love of God revealed in Christ because he settles down in our heart. And how does this work out in day-by-day -day life? Well, we spoke a moment ago of a little baby that was born. I went also last week to a nursing home to see a sweet old saints, two sweet old saints of God who are there, one suffering terribly and one quietly suffering. 
as I stood, I just walked in and had just gotten there and I stood by this sweet lady's bed and she took my hand and kissed it. She couldn't speak. And the lady next to her said, is he going to talk forever? And I thought she hadn't even heard me preach. And I just got there. And she said, it's rude to come this time of the day. And then someone whispered, Alzheimer. And then I knew that the poor lady had Alzheimer's disease. And this caused her to react in this insensitive way. I did make my visit brief. And, uh, uh, but you see, God was in that room too. I prayed for his old saint who's slipping out to be with him. And for the poor, disoriented, and disorganized mind that is hurting next to her. And then for the person who suffers pain across the hall. And then went on. Other problems come as the week goes on. And you run into many things where you see how Christ is working. And his secret is that he has victory. His angels are at work. And he shared the secret with them. The angels came, as we sang a moment ago, at his birth. They were glad for that birth because they saw what God would be doing in destroying the work of the evil angels that would come. And this, to me, is a wonderful sign of God's victory, too. Loss of health, loss of wealth, suffering, aging, death, all of these things come. But Christ speaks to us. Because he is identified with us, he has become flesh, God with us. That's an event. And by the way, suffering is an event. It's not a theory when you're in pain. It's an event. And this shows that God can share this common lot with us. That he speaks our language and that he knows our deepest needs. And this brings blessing to our hearts too. Now the plan is so big that it's hard for us to comprehend. Last October when I went back home to Texas, one of the strangest things to me every time I go is to go out to the old farm place where uh, I was born. I remember the lake that was there. I called it a lake. And that thing looked as big as the ocean to me when I was a little boy. But now it's the most tiny little pond you ever saw. And I'm always amazed at how small things look to me now and how big they looked back then. So you see, Paul says we're like that. We're like little children looking at the vastness of God's great plan. And we can't comprehend it all. We cannot take it all in, so we need God's help to get a glimpse of his greatness. We need the inner working of the Holy Spirit in our inner man. And when we have the Holy Spirit working in our inner man, the outer man may be beaten and bleeding, but God will be accomplishing his own purposes through us. And the writer of this letter knew what that was like. Because he had had his back lacerated many times with 40 stripes save one, the one withheld for mercy. And yet he could sing in the prison, jail in Philippi. 
He could bow his knees. I wonder what that Roman soldier thought when he said, I bow my knees. He bowed down on his knees. Do you still get down on your knees to pray? When you really mean business with the Lord, you have a way of doing that. Paul said, I bow down on my knees to thank God for this enormous plan of his and that the Holy Spirit is strengthening that inner man and that Christ has made his home in my heart. I want to get us out early and I have to close. Now I want to close by telling you a story. I cut it out of one of those little Foundation for Christian Living booklets that come from up in New York. It's true and it's remarkable and it's good and it tells you where the rubber meets the road and how God does this. It's the story of how a shopkeeper at Christmas time had his whole world changed as the telephone began to ring in his shop. He was working and scraping to gather money and he had a five-year-old boy. He was so proud of his five-year-old kid and that Christmas was coming and a five-year-old and Christmas is something beautiful to behold. That little boy was talking about Christmas Day all the time. And so his father worked late in the shop. But that day, that dreadful winter day, the phone rang and it was a terrible ring. He picked up the phone and he learned that his little five-year-old son had just been run over by an automobile and killed. Not only that, but that the person who had run over him was a kid down the street by the name of Al Masters who was a delinquent who caused everyone nothing but trouble. Al Masters was living in a home where there was little love. His father and mother quarreled violently. They got drunk. They threw things at each other. And Al Masters one day hearing his father and mother in the bedroom screaming at each other in a quarrel felt hostility in himself for what they were doing and so he ran through the hall, snatched up his mother's purse, grabbed the car keys, ran out the door, got in the car and roared down the street 70 miles an hour. The little five-year-old boy that afternoon was coming across the street. He never had a chance. He never even saw what hit him. The police caught Al Masters. And the father who had spent the whole night grieving and thinking about that wild kid, Al Masters, and the death of his little boy, couldn't wait for daylight to come. He couldn't wait to get to his attorney's office. He was there when it opened. He went in and told his lawyer, I know he's just 15 and I know what you're going to say. And I know what they're going to say, that they want him to come under the juvenile laws, but I don't want that. I want him dead. He killed my son, and I want him to die for it. He had nothing but cold, implacable hatred for Al Masters. After the funeral, as the days began to drag on toward Christmas, the father was so bitter and full of pain and agony inside, he couldn't stand the thought of Christmas Day. The little boy's mother begged the father to go with her to church on Christmas Day. And in the church on Christmas Day, the minister preached about the love and the forgiveness of God. He preached about 
how Christ could settle down and be at home in your heart and how he could change it. In that service, the sullen shopkeeper turned to his wife and said, maybe if we surrender this thing to Christ, it won't eat us up. Well, that Christmas night, he had a dream. Anxiety and fear have a way of coming out in our dreams. He dreamed of his little boy. His little five-year-old son was speaking to him. You know what he said? He said, Dad, I know you miss me, and I know you hurt, but that Al Masters is not so bad. You ought to get to know him, Dad. Dad, will you speak to him? Will you do it for me, please? Well, it was awkward, but the father made contact with Al Masters. Al Masters couldn't stand to look at him at first. They mechanically shook hands. And when their eyes met each other, they were afraid. But then they realized they had one thing in common. They both hurt. And they hurt terribly. The shopkeeper broke the ice. He found out that Al was mechanically inclined, that he liked to fix things. So he put him to work, working on bicycles. He made a special task of winning the boy's love and affection and friendship. And the boy paid him back with love too. As soon as school was out, he was there at the shop. And they grew to be the best of friends. And the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ replaced the guilt that was in that little boy's heart. And it replaced the hate that was in that father's heart. And those two became the best of friends. And they were a trophy of God's grace and what God can do to win the battle. A battle for our souls to defeat hate and guilt and lovelessness. That would be the biggest and most wonderful thing that could happen to us at this Christmas time would be to stop and think, do I feel hate? Do I feel guilt towards someone? Do I love Christ enough to let him go, to let her go? Do I love Christ enough to love him or to love her? If you don't, you do not love Christ. But that's the secret. That's the mystery that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself and that he has committed unto us this word of reconciliation. Let's bow in prayer. O oh God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the greatest gift ever given, the gift of yourself to us and your own blessed Son. Make us, O oh God, at this Christmas to know that what he has brought is himself and that he will help us through 
all of the sufferings and the griefs and the pains and the sins that may beset us in life, so that we may indeed rise to heights above in Christ Jesus, above those things where you can do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we can even ask and more than we can even think. And so we submit ourselves to you and pray that you will work in us this Christmas a work of grace and love. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and our guide, be and abide with you all, both now and forevermore.